Today's episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free trial at www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co slash PMC. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to our recently launched Substack, the Planet Microcap Newsletter, for free at microcapnewsletter.substack.com. I'll be sharing all recent podcast episodes from Planet Microcap and Due Diligence. Plus, every Sunday, I put out our weekly Microcap Wrap to show how the Microcap space has performed every week and compared to the broader markets based on data from the Microcap Review Index. Again, to subscribe, go to microcapnewsletter.substack.com. For this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Nathan Weinstein, head of healthcare equity research at Aegis Capital Corp. I asked a few companies in my network to connect me with Nathan because I wanted to learn more about the psychedelic sector. I remember quite vividly when the cannabis sector started to gain traction in public markets. For me, that was back in 2014. Uh, Psychedelics companies have come on the public market scene in the last 18 to 24 months now. And how its performance has been is very reminiscent to how cannabis got its start. We've had a number of psychedelics companies presented our events over the last couple of years. So uh, I thought it was time to figure out if this was just a passing fad or it was here to stay. So thank you again for tuning in to episode 228 of the Planet Microcap podcast. And please enjoy my conversation with Nathan Weinstein. This episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSets. You can find them at streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G dot co backslash PMC. Stream is an expert interview transcript library that is starting to become an integral part to investors' research process. They have a number of interviews on a wide variety of companies, including TMT, consumers, industrials, real estate, and more. Stream provides over 300 expert interviews per week, and 70% of their experts are found exclusively on Stream. Stream is unlike any other transcript libraries. Stream integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Stream's community of experts and thought leaders partner with Stream to build their professional brands and expand their industry influence. Right now, there are approximately 8,500 plus call transcripts available. For more information, please visit www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co backslash PMC. Welcome back to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. 
And joining me today is Nathan Weinstein. He's the head of healthcare equity research at Aegis Capital Corp. And you might be asking yourself, okay, he's the head of healthcare equity research. Why, why did I invite him on today? Well, we're covering a, uh, a burgeoning sector, a growing sector, if I may, and that's psychedelics. I haven't done anything about it. It's kind of, I mean, it's definitely gone down since it first uh, came on the scene, but we're going to dig into all of that, why it's it's generating generating even some kind of interest. It was it's some of these companies raising capital on the backs of, of this new trend. So, uh Nathan, what's up, man? How you doing? Hey, very good, Robert. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, it's great to have you on, man. And uh, this should be this should be pretty fun today. But before we get into you know what's going on in psychedelics, why it has you know feelings of like 2014 cannabis, you know, excitement, or at least it did. Not so much right now, but you know, I, I think it might be here to stay. But before we get into all that, give us your background. You know, how how'd you get to where you're at today? Yeah, great. Great, thanks, Robert. So, so I'm a healthcare equity research analyst at Aegis Capital, uh, running this uh, group for us. And um, our goal is to find interesting stories um, across life sciences. So we have biotech coverage, med device, we've dabbled in animal health. Uh, co- currently covering 24 stocks. I uh, should just give you a little background on Aegis Capital. So the firm was founded in 1984. It's an investment bank based here in New York City. Uh, with coverage not just in healthcare, but we have research coverage in other areas like consumer and tech, investment banking department, um, a network of wealth managers, and quite a diversified array of services. So that's the bank. Um, We're covering 24 names right now in healthcare. And of those, we cover just a handful. Uh, Four of them actually are in psychedelics. I was going to ask, you know, I guess the first question right off the bat, bat, before we get into psychedelics and one-on-one investing, how did how come psychedelics are falling under the the healthcare equity research line? I mean, is it is that the only place that um, it kind of falls under right now uh, where we're at? Yeah, that's right. And you know, we're talking about cannabis as a market, and there's some uh, similarities with psychedelic medicine, but there's also some really important differences. So, uh, psychedelic medicine is taking an ethical drug development approach, uh, at least from the current crop of companies. Because, uh, you know, there's a long history. There's obviously the 60s and that whole stigma. But the industry today is being run by drug development professionals who are trying to improve the lives of patients with various mental health disorders. Um, so that could be depression, millions of patients in the U.S., anxiety, millions of patients, uh, PTSD, and other indications. So the goal really is to develop drugs that are better than or can be used um, in resistant patients um, from the existing drug options. So it's really a drug development play and it falls within a healthcare coverage rather than say consumer when you have so many cannabis names which are really CPG plays, this is a different animal. I see. So, I mean, that's really where it was kind of this convergence, right, of mental health awareness, uh, mental health, you know, coming with COVID, coming out of COVID, how, you know, there's there's a lot more folks out there that are looking for, for some sort of help um, as well as then you know, just some of the opioid crisis mixed in there where, you know, just some of the stuff that that is currently being used to treat depression and, and other mental health diseases just aren't, people are basically looking for alternatives. So is that really where the idea of, of psychedelics as an industry has really taken hold in the last 18 months to two years? 
Yeah, I think you said it well. I I think you can't ignore data coming out of the space. That's what's gotten so many people so excited about psychedelic medicine and gendered the company formation. You know, round numbers, we have 50 to 60 publicly traded companies in the space now. All that capital flowing in during the shroom boom, late 2020, early 21, you know, that was chasing a few really exciting signals that came out of the clinic. So, you know, we're dealing with classic compounds some of which have uses from native populations going back, docu- you know, documented uses going back thousands of years. There's cave paintings of mushrooms. And, and so there's this long history. And then there's obviously the mid 20th century you can go into that. Um, but today what the space looks like is there's great signals in the clinic in mid-stage and late-stage trials. Let's pursue this through to commercialization. I like that, the, the shroom boom. That is that's just so good. <laughs> um, the shroom boom. Um, all right, so let, let's let's take let's take a step back then. All right, so psychedelics as an industry, you know, we talked about the stigma. So basically, how did we get to where we were before the shroom boom? You know, where was where was the industry uh, at? And then and let, let's start there. Where was the industry at? Right. So you you, you had like. The Controlled Substances Act under Nixon in the 70s kind of put a kibosh on a lot of the research which was being done by Sandoz and other uh, firms that actually had products in this area. You know, you have the Timothy Leary era um, that basically set in several decades of sort of a hiatus in terms of research, not a complete cessation, but a lot of the work did come to a halt. And there was a stigma about these drugs um, you know, their negative effects were hyped up and any positives were sort of put to bed. And, you know, there's great reading on this. Uh, Michael Pollan has a book, How to Change Your Mind. Highly recommend it. Going into the history. Um, Terrence McKenna. Another, yeah. I, yeah. I read, I read his how to th- I read his book on, I think I have it here about uh, how, how to change how you think about eating, about food. He's a great author. Sorry, I didn't mean to stop you there. But that, yeah, no, not at all. That's good, right. Good He's pull. Got a, good pull. Yeah, yeah. He definitely a great author and covers a lot of the subject with, with very thoughtful. Um, and another, another great one is Terrence McKenna wrote a book called Food of the Gods, amongst other books, um, really kind of an introduction uh, to the background of these substances. So after you have these controlled, you know, the control in the U.S., you basically have very few uh, researchers out there working on the substances. But there was some work being done. I think MAPS is a non-for-profit started by Rick Doblin, which was studying some of these substances um, in the 80s and 90s. And then you start to get this buildup. If you look at the literature, more and more people um, sort of entering this renaissance. Uh, there's work that's been done at New York University, Johns Hopkins, Imperial College of London, and many others. So they brought back the research. And then I think that you have a perfect sort of storm in 2016, 2017, these papers are coming out in peer-reviewed journals. Psilocybin really can create a paradigm shift in mental health treatment. And then just capital came flowing into the space. And we have all these companies from which to, you know, to take a look at on the investment side. So talk about from, you know, just on the substance side of things, you know, where, where is it on the, on the bands as a schedule? Is it a schedule one, like with cannabis it still is. So I'd like to understand that too. Yeah, sure. So at the federal level, uh, psilocybin, DMT, uh, LSD, which are like the canonical 5-HT2A receptor agonists, these substances are schedule one, meaning the federal government thinks there's a high abuse potential and no medical use for them. 
Um, so that, that can make working with the substances, transporting them, getting them to cl clinical trial sites, et cetera, more challenging. Although the DEA in recent years has been more permissive in terms of how much of the substance you can actually use and be and produce. Um, so there are some like positive regulatory signals, uh, but those, those substances are scheduled at the federal level. Right. We, so then when we saw the shroom boom and we started to see all this capital now go into, you know, some, some of these names, you know, I think I forgot how many you said, I think it was like 50, 60 there right now. So you're starting to see some of the capital going into that. I mean, what, what, was that, is that still considered somewhat of a risk or is the capital going into some of these 50 to 60 names more on just the medical side? So, cause we're not really talking about something that's more consumer grade unless it's considered a supplement from my understanding. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Uh, it's a risk. I think anything with uh, regulation is a risk. We don't yet know for sure what, what regulators will do at the end of the day. Um, but there are some precedent cases. Uh, people like to point to uh, jazz, jazz Pharmaceuticals um, and GW Pharma. So Jazz acquired GW Pharma for CBD-based CBD medicine, paying, I think, $7.2 billion. That's scaled up well over $500 million in annual revenue. Um, and as part of the approval there, I think there was like a, a rescheduling, basically, because now you can't say there's no medically approved use or no legitimate medical use because there is, it's been proven in clinical trials. So following this approval from the FDA, you have basically a concurrent or shortly after you have a DEA action, which allows this medicine to be sold through a prescription model. And I think, you know, the same thing could happen with psychedelics where we get these great clinical trial outcomes, which many of us are expecting. Of course, there's risks whenever you're running clinical trials, but if there's a great pivotal studies done, which are statistically meaningful on their endpoints and good safety profile, as we expect, um, the FDA could approve them and then the DEA could reschedule them and we could have some of these psychedelics entering the market in a, you know, a few years time. I'd like to take a quick second to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Quarter. With Quarter, you get frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports from markets all around the world, straight from your pocket for no cost. Quarter's mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. The first step on this journey is to let you, the user, interact with the company's content while you're listening. Visit your app store of choice and try it out today by searching for Quarter. And that's Q-U-A-R-T-R. -R. Now back to the show. So what would you say is the... All right. So, all right. So just kind of give us the full picture. So what are kind of been the main um, subsectors within the psychedelics industry right now that these 50, 60 companies are kind of, how, how are they, how are they kind of organizing themselves into these different buckets? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because a lot of companies may have jumped on the bandwagon of the shroom boom or the mush rush, if you prefer. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, I can't speak to a lot, like many of them, you know, I'm not sure what their differentiator is. And unfortunately, we've had a few companies in the space, like halt operations, a let go of their C-suite and, you know, pursue strategic alternatives. So lightly capitalized companies without a differentiated model, you know, I don't think they're going to make it or they're going to have a pretty tough time. Uh, and we will see, I think, more consolidation. So recently, the biotech space at large has had a nice resurgence in M&A. 
So a few acquisitions have been announced in recent weeks, and that also took place in psychedelic medicine. So there is consolidation. And I think the, the winners in the space are going to be the ones who have differentiated offerings where they have intellectual property so they can protect their assets and build a commercial story around them. And also they're going to be the ones that have enough capital uh, to move their products through um, drug development, which can be a lengthy and expensive process. So what would you say right now is the most misunderstood aspect of psychedelics? Like what, what do people keep getting confused about? Yeah, so that's a that's an interesting question. Um, I think there's a lot of, uh, I wouldn't say concern, but there's some hesitancy with uh, larger funds to get involved. Um, with many institutional investors kind of still waiting on the sideline and some of big pharma still waiting on the sideline in terms of strategic partnering because there's so many unknowns. Like we're in biotech, but we're also in this frontier area where we don't know exactly what's gonna happen with the scheduling, with the outcomes of clinical trials. And these are such novel compounds. So I think there's gonna be some of the bigger money waiting uh, to, to, to dip their toe in when we have even more signals from the clinic. And I think that's a good sign for people who are a little more flexible or able to get involved with these companies now. Um, you're able to get involved maybe ahead of some of those decisions, ahead of strategic partnerships, ahead of large institutional or sovereign wealth funds even potentially being interested. Uh, so it will take time, um, but it's a, it's a process of building up. But what are they, what are they waiting for in terms of, you know, clinical results? Cause like, I've seen a lot out there that, you know, um, I mean, people that are very pro psychedelics industry, and I'm not here to comment whether it, it has any, you know, actual help or not, but there's been big claims, right. Of what, you know, these compounds can do everything from he basically healing, like straight up, just curing certain me mental health disorders, which is, that's, that's, that's pretty big. So, I mean, what, what are some of these larger institutions or bigger funds waiting for from the clinic? Yeah, exactly. Good, good. It's a good point. So part of those expectations can almost be a detriment because if you have these huge expectations around a space, um, then almost any clinical trial result could be looked at and not appreciated for what it is in light of what expectations you brought to the table. So we might've seen a little bit that with of that with Compass Pathways Phase 2B trial of psilocybin and treatment-resistant depression, where, in my opinion, the results were very strong, um, but we didn't have the reaction across the market that we might have hoped for. And I think, you know, possibly people weren't conditioned for exactly how to interpret these results. And um, in terms of the big funds, like mutual funds, pension funds, and so forth, that those huge pools of money, you know, they have a few restrictions that they need to do. First of all, they need they need liquidity, so there has to be enough market capitalization for them to get involved and be liquid. Um, and then the federal scheduling might still be uh, a bridge too far for them. So, I think rescheduling of certain compounds following FDA approvals and uh, increasing market capitalizations with more liquidity will all engender, you know, those large funds to 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 get involved in the future. That's my opinion. Very good. All right. Well, then, as the industry exists right now, as we I, I alluded to at the beginning, you know, there and you know, with all these great phrases with the shroom boom and the mush rush, I mean, since since it, it kind of peaked, I mean, psychedelics is definitely. I mean, I think it's come back to earth and maybe even is back 
on in in the dirt <laughs> for a little bit right now. <laughs> you know, going back into its fungi phase a little bit. Um, you know, how should investors understand what's going on right now, and maybe what what's some of your criteria? You know, I'm not here to ask any you know you know names in particular, but like, what what are some of your criteria? for things that are more interesting than things that are more moonshots at this point. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great point. And I really like your metaphor of fungi going underground to, I wish it wasn't, I wish you weren't able to make that, but it, but you can, and it's fair The, you know, we've had a trade-off in, in biotech at large. If you look at the XBI over the last year, you know, down drastically. And if you look at a few of the ETFs, which are small, but they track, psychedelic medicine, they're down even more than, than biotech at large. So, you know, you have a few mac- macro factors affecting the space. Um, and then basically anything that has, that's relying on its valuation for future cash flows, you know, those are going to be discounted at higher and higher rates, you know, just that, you know, as we come up in interest rate cycle. So I think there's a few things working against us here. Um, but we also echo, I think, a lot of past hype cycles like a lot of technologies other industries have these crazy hype cycles ton of capital flows in and they're not really that realistic and you know we can't control the millions of individual like investors at home who get excited and buy something and drive prices astronomical or who sell on the other side the thing we can do is kind of sit back and say all right what's actually real here and that's when we get into the point of of drug development, which if for people who are maybe not as close to it, it can be a lengthy process, just order of magnitude, think 10 years, you're going through three phases of clinical trials and trying to get an approval that takes money, that takes time. And that is separate from the hype cycle. So that's where I think people should be focusing looking forward. Well, what about on the, because like I've done some interviews with companies that are, that have clinics. Um, I've done some interviews with companies that are, you know, taking or, or creating supplements from other aspects of the mushroom uh, as well. And also now providing some of the, the biologics or the shroom itself, I guess, or parts of it for, for clinical trials. So what about those, those businesses as they exist right now? Yeah. So, so we were introduced by our mutual friend, Tim Moore from Haven Life Sciences. So um, Haven, is, is working as a supplier of these substances. And there's other companies working as suppliers. And there's also clinic operators. There's several publicly traded clinic operators who have like a dozen clinics each. It's a highly fragmented ketamine clinic market, several hundred of them in the US. And, and those are interesting models. If you can be a supplier of pharmaceutical grade API into an industry, that's great. And if you can profitably operate a network of clinics and be a consolidator, I also think that's very attractive because you get those near-term revenues and potential cash flow. So I think those are both very interesting models and worth keeping an eye on. Um, Just in terms of the big prize in this space, it's like if you can be an adjunct to or even a replacement for SSRIs for huge drugs that are sold nationally and globally and feed through the clinic network or even at home, I think that's where the big financial prizes. And that's why you have a lot of leading companies in the space, you know, pursuing clinical trials. Got it. I mean, you know, I compared to psychedelics where it's, it felt very cannabis-y 2014 and now kind of the, you know, the calm after Coachella was over, you know, um, like, 
is that a good analogy? I mean, is that is that really where we're at? Or do you see psychedelics as an industry, maybe in, in similar to some of the other, you know, more recent cannabis cycles, you know, not just that initial hype and now we're, you know, it's done or not done, but, you know, it's back back to earth. Um, or is it or is it is it a bit more matured that or, or faces different kind of obstacles in cannabis to yeah, that's, that's, that's great. I, I like the comparison just from a compare contrast standpoint. Obviously, in cannabis, you have a lot of value being created. Even if API prices came down drastically and sort of the generic beginning of the supply chain maybe isn't that interesting, still, you have value created on the pharma side with Jazz GW. You have multi-state operators who are growing revenues quite attractively. Um, maybe their stocks aren't catching a break, but they're building value, in my opinion, um, and also brands. So there's brand equity being created. And I think a lot of the margin um, and value will accrue to brands with consumer recognition. So I think cannabis is a different animal, though, because with psychedelics, we're at this point where a lot of the companies are in mid-stage trials, early to mid-stage trials. And the name of the game in, in drug development is get good data within your cash runway. So you really want to look, I think viewers might want to consider looking for companies in psychedelic medicine, just the same way they would look at companies in the larger pharma and biotech space. Basically, you want a fortress balance sheet, so enough cash to get you through those clinical milestones, which can serve as catalysts either for the stock re-rating to bring in capital at more attractive levels, um, or even to engender partnerships with big pharma. So look for those strong balance sheets that have a cash runway extended beyond when the readout from the clinical trial will be. Got it. By the way, and I forgot to mention, for, you know, you mentioned that Tim Moore from Haven introduced us. I'm, I'm not a sh- Firstly, thank you, Tim. But I am also not a shareholder in Haven Life Sciences. I, are, are you guys covering them? No. So we're not uh, currently covering them. Okay. Um, but I'm just a fan of Tim. He's a great guy. I'm glad he introduced us. Absolutely. All right. So talking about the clinical trials themselves, um, what are various statistically significant results that for you, like, okay, this is this is something that would be pretty interesting in terms of positive results from any kind of preclinical phase one stuff going on. Okay, great. So this might be a good time to just mention a couple of stocks that we do cover. So we do cover Atai Life Sciences at Aegis Capital. The ticker is ATAI. Uh, we have a buy rating and a $27 price target. And we also cover Cybin. Uh, CYBN is the ticker and we have a $6 price target. And I think this is a good time to mention them because they're both pursuing uh, trials. Atai has an enormous pipeline and that was what initially attracted me to them. They have APIs across the board from psilocybin uh, to DMT to non-psychedelics for a whole range of indications from depression to anxiety um, to cognitive impairment associated with schizophrenia. So really a very large and, and um, a broad pipeline. So that's that's the exciting thing about a tie. And another thing to mention about a tie is that they own around 23% of Compass Pathways, which is ticker symbol CMPS, which itself is not covered at Aegis, but you get exposure to it through the tie ownership. And Compass is arguably the farthest ahead in terms of psilocybin therapy. So they're expected to enter phase three clinical trials um, at, before the end of 2022. And in the fourth quarter of 2021, they read out their phase 2B study. I think it was 233 patients 
Um, and it was probably like the largest, most well-controlled trial of psilocybin in depression. And I think one of the things to look for there, which a few of these companies are talking about is rapidity of onset. So not just how big is the effect size, but people also are looking like how quickly are patients receiving benefit from their depression symptoms? And then also duration is another thing to watch. Like how long does it last? Now, I think, um, market observers and investors, maybe they put a lot of weight on, on the duration or the durability of like, okay, did it last like a month or two months after your treatment that you still felt good or felt better? But I, I'm not so worried about that because I think there could be a maintenance model that could develop in the industry where you come back for repeated dosing. Uh, so it's important, don't get me wrong, but there's other ways to set up an industry around that. The other thing is rapidity of onset. So encompasses phase 2B trial, patients like started feeling better the next day in a statistically significant fashion. It was a dose controlled trial, 25 milligrams of COMP360, their proprietary uh, psilocybin therapy versus one milligram. So the effects were very quick and um, very meaningful. I think you had like two times the effect size of SSRIs, but th there's a few moving pieces there depending on the patient population and so forth. Interesting. So what are some red flags that folks should, should be wary of uh, when, when assessing psychedelics right now? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's a super important question because you're, whenever you're analyzing biotech in general or any company, you, you know, you have to make sure that everything jives that um, you're going to want to start by knowing who are the people running the company? What are the backgrounds of management? Um, how realistic are their the things that they're trying to achieve as a company, how realistic are those? Can they really achieve them or are they pie in the sky? So you want to have like a sort of a, I always have like a healthy skepticism with any company you're, you're researching. Um, and then also look at the balance sheet to make sure they're adequately capitalized to, to run their clinical trials. Cause in the absence of that, um, you know, they're not going to be able to fulfill their goal in the clinic. So red flags for me are, me too assets. So if you're just using generic psilocybin, which is gen one, we've known about it for thousands of years. I don't think you're going to get intellectual property protection. So even if you do develop this great data in the clinic, uh, you're not really going to be able to keep anyone from, from impeding on, on your territory. So I think second and third gen molecules are maybe more interesting in some cases. Um, and then adequate, adequate capitalization is very important. Got it. Is there anything that we're missing that we haven't covered that, that you think maybe folks should, should understand about the space or, you know, where it's headed? Maybe how about that? How, let's go there. You know, I'll ask you the, anything we missed in a second, but the future of this industry, I mean, I'm sure we're going to have multiple cycles going through, but what do you think is kind of the next, um, in your opinion, the next catalyst for a kind of wave of excitement? Yeah, it's, gr it's a great question. So, so for, for the space at large, MAPS uh, is going to run another phase three trial of their MDMA plus therapy for the treatment of PTSD. And the first phase three trial with the data that's already come out of that program is astonishing. Like a huge number of patients that go in there come out without any PTSD symptoms at the end. Um, so people were blown away by that data, in my opinion, and they could potentially bring that drug to the market in some way some form or fashion, maybe 2023, 2024 type of timeframe. Uh, so that I think could catalyze a renewed enthusiasm for the space. 
Uh, obviously, when Compass reads out the phase three data, um, which, you know, they're going to start that trial later this year, probably. And that data uh, could be very interesting. Um, I do expect we're going to head toward uh, continued consolidation, uh, firstly, in the ketamine clinic space, because it's just so fragmented. So there will be operators who will be able to act as consolidators there. And then just keep an eye on clinical trial data. So within our coverage, a tie has like 13 or so programs in the clinic or or in the discovery phase as well. And so data coming out from that is going to potentially act as a catalyst. And then Cybin is going to be moving into clinical trials with its two lead assets. Um, and those could also produce data, which I think could get people pretty excited. Gotcha. And I think you mentioned MAPS. Are they, are, are they under the coverage universe at Aegis? Yeah, so MAPS is a different beast altogether. It's, mm. it's basically like a not-for-profit. Uh, so Rick Doblin, oh. like a legend in the industry, has been running this since I think 1986, maybe. So he's one of those guys that was doing work in that hiatus period that we talked about and that just kept the flame of hope alive for the space. And, um, and so they may bring this drug to market. I'm not sure exactly what their commercial structure will look like or if they're going to monetize it um, in some form or fashion, but um, they are doing the clinical work and it's been very impressive. Got it. So hopefully that police car is gone. Okay. I guess they're gone now. Um, <laughs> so, okay. So, all right. So it sounds like some of the more near-term catalysts might not even be for the rest of 2022. It sounds like 2023, once we get some more data out there, that's, that's where we're going to start to see some more interest to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think there's going to be readouts on a couple names. So a tie and Sybin will have readouts from programs likely this year, later in the year. Yeah. Uh, so just keep an eye on that and investors can go to their websites and see the pipelines. They're very large. I won't bore you with going through all of them, but they are worth a review. It's an exciting selection of APIs that both companies are working on. Um, obviously you have the maps doing their work and then there's like dozens of other companies in the space that we haven't even covered. So there's, you, we couldn't do justice really to the number of researchers on the academic side, um, to how big this problem is in terms of mental health and all the different indications or to the number of companies and the diversity of activities. So I think we've just given people maybe a flavor of what they could expect to see if they start to dig into the space. But do you also see that, because this is kind of like where cannabis started, right, is on the medicinal side, you know, that's where it was approved, you know, in various states, like California, stuff like that. So, I mean, is, is can, can we expect a similar kind of roadmap where there now are, are going to be some more consumables on maybe not so much psychedelics, but like shroom adjacent things? <laughs> I guess, I <don't> know. <laughs> yeah, you're, that's a great point. I mean, the cat's out of the bag. There's people working on all types of nootropics and different types of supplements, shroom-based supplements. And when I say shroom, I mean mushroom and not controlled mushroom substances. So there's there's a lot of sort of adjacencies that are taking off. We'll see which one get consumer uptake. It's hard to know sort of beforehand, which are the, gonna be the dominant brands. Um, and then, you know, we have a lot of pockets of like regulatory progress, be it Oregon or select cities in California and other states where these psychedelics have been um, maybe decriminalized or the priority with which they're being pursued by the legal system has been lowered. And so like, maybe, maybe that will open up use cases uh, for a recreational market, but I don't think that's really the play in psychedelics. I think it's a medicinal play around drug approvals and a prescription model, but in 10 years, I know, you know, it's hard to say where we could be. You got to try to keep an open mind. 
Gotcha. Yeah. Look, I, like I'm trying not to be an, a skeptic. I, it's just like being in microcaps, seeing the the booms and the busts. And you know, to be fair, you know, not just with cannabis, but I'd say with crypto, that has, you know, that's. I remember when that first came out, and that was, you know, had all the excitement. I mean, it's had much more excitement, you know, in the last few years. Um, you know, so just trying to be fair and be open minded to the idea that you know this psychedelics could very easily continue to be around. Um, and, you know, I just, I, I, I just, I didn't understand right now, you know, with cannabis, it's, it was a very clear and simple story to understand of like, all right. Okay. Like, I don't even need to say more. It's just with psychedelics. It's, it's just, I feel like it's because it may, I guess maybe it's just that stigma bias that I even hold that like, that's why I, I've been, had more of a skepticism around it. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. Uh, so just like with any other space, there's, you know, bifurcation into winners and losers. And so you want to try to find companies that have differentiated assets with granted patents in the US and good balance sheets. So I love this metaphor of like a chessboard. You take a rookie chess player, they look at the board for the first move, they think they can make dozens of potential moves. But actually, you take a really experienced player and they realize there's only like a handful of legitimate moves that you can make that won't immediately set you back. So it's the same thing from, from an embarrassment of riches in terms of the number of pub codes in the space. There's really only a handful that I think are really going to go the distance. And so you, you need to be fastidious in your analysis of the clinical trial results. Check out the balance sheet and also look at the management teams because a lot of the management teams are really amazing. They've had successes, prior exits. They come from big pharma. Atai and Saibin check that box in terms of really driven management teams who have experience in drug development from other areas. And then once we start to see some of those like phase two data coming out and we start to see some potentially big pharma getting a little more involved, and they have been like J&J &J with Spravato, which is a ketamine product. You know, so there's interest. Otsuka has partnered um, with the Thai's Perception Neuroscience subsidiary. So there is that interest. But when that dam breaks, I think it'll be another exciting cycle. Well, all right, Nathan. I mean, with that, you know, where can people go and get in touch with you, find more, you know, get, get more of your insights on what's going on? Maybe not just in psychedelics, but hey, you're the head of healthcare equity research, you know, so maybe get some more healthcare tips. Yeah, amazing. Thank you, Robert. It's been such a pleasure coming on um, to your show today and speaking with you about this area of mutual interest. Um, if investors or uh, anybody else would like more information, uh, just look up the Aegis Capital website. Uh, you can Google Aegis Capital. It's A-E-G-I-S. Go to the website. You'll find information about our current coverage of the other services offered by the firm and, and, um, and happy hunting. There's a lot of opportunity out there. Very good. All right, man. Well, this has been a pleasure. Shabbat shalom. Huh? And yeah, good Shabbos, my friend. Good Shabbos. Let's do it. And uh, really appreciate you taking the time today. Good luck. Stay safe and uh, look forward to connecting in person soon. Well, I'm very thankful to be here, Robert. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and I look forward to speaking again soon. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker-dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast podcast.